Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sports Island Podcast. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. Creating a sports podcast about sports while we're three and a half months into a global pandemic is what some would consider a bold strategy. But don't you worry, because sports is fluid, and there's plenty of sports topics to talk about during this crazy time. I'm going to be sticking to sports news and topics only, keeping all of the political, social, and racial issues out of it. There's so much negativity in the media right now already, and we don't need any more of that. I created Sports Island to allow people to get away from all that negativity and drama and just focus on sports without the extra issues. This is the very first and inaugural episode of Sports Island, so I'm definitely excited to get going. We're going to start off talking about a topic that has dominated all sorts of media platforms, sports included, for the last week, and that's the spike in positive coronavirus cases that we're seeing right now. Over the past week, there's been various states that have reported substantial increases in coronavirus cases, which has led to numerous collegiate professional athletes testing positive for the virus. And just in this last week, we've seen several colleges announce positive tests for their student-athletes, including the University of Texas, Clemson University, Kansas State University. In the National Football League, the Dallas Cowboys, the Houston Texans, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all announced that some of their players had positive tests. Most notably out of that group of teams was Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. And I just heard an interview with him on ESPN Dallas Radio, and he said that he feels good. He had very mild symptoms. He's resting up, and he's going to take another test again next week to make sure that he's negative before he jumps back into working out. The National Hockey League announced 11 positive tests, with some of them being from the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. And you see the Tampa Bay Lightning organization the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, two different sports organizations, both um, reporting positive tests, which really is not a surprise considering that Florida is one of the states reporting the highest spike in coronavirus cases these last several days. Uh, in Major League Baseball, you had positive tests come out of the Philadelphia Phillies organization, which basically shut down all of the team's training facilities for cleaning purposes. And just in this last 24 hours, you had the Colorado Colorado Rockies announce a positive test in their organization, uh, several of them, uh, one of which was their all-star outfielder, Charlie Blackman. And just this afternoon, the Detroit Tigers announced a couple positive tests in their organization. Uh, the PGA Tour, uh, about a week and a half ago, restarted their season at the Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, the Charles Schwab Challenge. They ran about a 1,000 coronavirus tests through the weekend, and they did not have one positive test. Uh, Well, this past weekend at the RBC Heritage at Harbortown Golf Links, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, they reported their first test in golfer Nick Watney, who had actually played his first round in the RBC Heritage on Thursday, but didn't find out about his positive test until Friday. 
forcing him to withdraw from the tournament. Um, Golfer Cameron Champ, he just tested positive during the pre-tournament screening at the Travelers Championship this week. And the breaking news out of golf today was Brooks Kepka's caddy, Ricky Elliott, testing positive for the coronavirus, which forced Brooks Kepka himself to withdraw from the tournament, even though his tests have all been negative so far. But Kepka's situation is worth monitoring because the virus, as you well know, can obviously stay in your body for several days before it's uh, detected. And that's might, might be what we're dealing with with him. So hopefully he stays healthy and his tests next week come back negative so he's able to play. But there was another golfer, Graham McDowell. His caddy also tested positive, so he had to withdraw from the Travelers Championship this week as well. Uh, Yesterday, it was announced that high-profile Serbian athletes, um, tennis player Novak Djokovic and NBA star Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, they also tested positive. And Nikola Jokic, he should be getting cleared to resume travel to the United States sometime in the next week so he can join his teammates and start getting ready for the restart of the NBA season. Uh, NBA player Malcolm Brogdon announced this afternoon that he had tested positive for coronavirus as well. And all of those positive tests that we've seen in the last week were in addition to some of the other tests that we've already uh, seen, such as uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, whose positive tests basically shut down the sports world uh, a few months ago. And then you can't forget about Vaughn Miller of the Denver Broncos. He has already uh, had it and overcame it. And while the mainstream media is making this out to be such a bad thing and getting everybody to freak out, I'm on the other side of it. You know, I think the coronavirus is here to stay. It's like the flu, the common cold. A lot of people have already had it and not even known about it until now. And a vast majority of these athletes that have tested positive for the coronavirus have been asymptomatic and really didn't even know they had it until they got tested. So at this point, really, the best we can hope for is the vaccine comes out either at the end of this year or the beginning of 2021, or that we obtain herd immunity, which is when a high percentage of the population is immune to the virus by having the antibodies. And it certainly, based on this last week's spike, it looks like we're, we're on our way to that. But the timing of this for all these athletes testing positive really isn't the worst thing. In fact, I'll argue that it's actually maybe a good thing. Uh, The virus seems to be a matter of when, not if, everyone will contract it. And outside of the PGA Tour, all of the other major pro sports and college sports are either in their off-season or in their summer camps before their seasons resume. And if I'm a player or a coach or a staff member on one of these teams, I'd much rather have a bunch of positive tests now in the off-season instead of the regular season or the playoffs. And, I mean, really, if you get a group of guys that miss a couple weeks of conditioning and workouts in the offseason, it's not really that big of a deal. But if you get a group of players, which include maybe one or two of your star players, they have to sit out a crucial part of the season or maybe some of the playoffs, it could end up costing you your entire season. And so I think the timing for all these positive cases right now while sports is still on a break, is is 
really not not the worst thing. Now, the PGA Tour, they handled their first positive test about as well as they could have. Uh, they pulled Nick Watney out of the tournament, made him quarantine last week at the RBC Heritage, and all the other people that were near him, including his caddy and his playing partners on that Thursday round, who were Luke List and Vaughn Taylor, including their caddies as well, they were all notified of the positive tests from Watney, and they were each tested themselves. The 11 people, the contact tracing led to 11 people that had the closest contact to him, to Nick Watney, that is, and all of them were tested. Their results came back negative. Uh, Positive tests are, are just going to happen in all sports, and we need to be prepared for it. Uh, earlier this week, maybe last week on ESPN Dallas, I heard an interview with Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby. And Mr. Bowlesby was asked about the return of Big 12 sports in the fall, most notably football, and how they're going to start scheduling and preparing for that with the coronavirus in full effect. And Mr. Bowlesby's exact quote was, we're going to have to learn to coexist with it. And man, that's the bottom line truth right there. That doesn't just apply to sports. That applies to basically everyday life now as we see it. We just need to be as prepared as we can, but it's it's just going to be a part of the world now, and sports is, is not up for an exemption on that. And teams and colleges and leagues are going to have to come up with procedures and protocols on how to handle it, and that's really about all we can do. In the Sports Center special called The Return to Sports that aired on ESPN about a week and a half ago, Mike Greenberg interviewed NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell regarding the steps taken to keep the NFL moving towards playing a full regular season. And Commissioner Goodell had this to say, quote, As testing becomes more prevalent, we are going to have positive tests. Our players and personnel are going to be involved, so positive tests are going to happen. The issue is, can we prevent as many of those from happening, but in addition, treat them quickly, isolate them, and prevent them from impacting other personnel? Commissioner Goodell went on to say, I think our protocols are working. We expect that we are going to have positive tests. That's a part of the increased testing we'll be going through. We are seeing very positive reactions in a sense of making sure we respond quickly protect personnel that may be impacted by that and others that may be in contact with that. And man, I think Commissioner Goodell's comments are spot on. As I just mentioned a little bit ago, sports is not immune to the virus. And as we get further along with testing and vaccines, the leagues and the teams will have to refine the protocols that they've come up with to help everyone be more safe and keep the teams and the players playing their respective sports. This hiatus from sports has allowed the league some time to get basic protocols in place so that sports can resume. And whether you like sports or not, and if you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you do, you can't deny that sports is a major part of our world and more specifically our country. Now, I mentioned the PGA Tour and their positive tests. Just a recap on the PGA Tour from last weekend, the RBC Heritage at Harbortown Golf Links in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. What a great weekend it was at Harbortown. The course was in good shape. The weather was good. 
with the exception of that couple hour window on Sunday afternoon where they had the delay. Um, they ended up being able to finish the round on Sunday evening. There was insanely low scores, insanely high skill, some drama at the end as Abraham Answer had a legitimate shot to tie Webb Simpson on the 18th hole. Uh, Answer's birdie putt came up short, and Webb Simpson ended up winning with a score of 22 under par. But man, it made for some great TV for the second weekend in a row after the Charles Schwab Challenge went to a playoff hole the week before to determine a winner. And just to put the absurdity of this week's scores into perspective, Daniel Berger's winning score at Colonial the week before was 15 under par. 15 under par would have been tied for 17th at Harbortown. I mean, there were 20 players at 15 under par or better this past weekend at Harbortown. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the course playing at a par 71 instead of a par 70 like it was at Colonial, or if the players have already knocked off all the rust. And maybe it's a combination of the both. But either way, the PGA Tour has hit a home run in its first two weeks back in action. And they'll look to continue that this weekend at the Travelers Championship, which gets going tomorrow, Thursday morning. The Travelers Championship is played at TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. It's another star-studded field this week as four of the top five players in the world will be playing. Eight of the top ten in the official world golf rankings will be in the field. Brooks Kepka was supposed to play, but of course he just had to withdraw today due to his caddy testing positive for the coronavirus. But with so many golfers playing so well already in the first couple of weeks, you just get the sense that it's going to be another wide-open weekend where anybody can win, and you're going to see multiple players on Sunday afternoon with a chance to win. And I follow golf quite a bit. I'm pretty pretty avid uh, golf fan. and So I'll start what's what I'll call Rick's Picks to Click. And... My picks to click are going to be, each week I'll give you three golfers that I think have a legitimate chance to win or that I think are going to win. And so we'll start off this week's picks to click. The first one I'll give you is Colin Morikawa. Uh, The kid has been super consistent. He's made the cut in each of his first 22 pro starts, which is just three three starts shy of Tiger Woods' record of 25 straight starts of making the cut. He's been consistent all the way across the board, and if you take out Sunday's over-par round at Harbortown, Morikawa's just been playing some really good golf last couple weeks, and I look for this week maybe for him to get his first PGA Tour win. The second pick to click is going to be Abraham Answer. Uh, Last week at Harbortown, his final round on Sunday, he hit all 18 greens in regulation. And those greens were not the easiest to hit. They They were small, compact, and he managed to find all 18 of them in regulation. His putter was good, consistent, and he just, all around his game last week, he's... He's definitely going to be in line to win his first PGA Tour event. 
And if he builds on last week's performance, I don't see why that can't be this week at the Travelers. And the final, my final pick to click this week at the Travelers Championship is Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, the guy is a top 10 machine. Every weekend on Saturday and Sunday, you look at the leaderboard and his name is somewhere up there close to the top. He's been really consistent. Everybody's been talking about how much weight he's put on and him working out and being able to drive the ball a mile, which is true. Uh, but he's also been consistent in the other areas of his game as well. And he's he's posted some pretty low scores the past couple weekends. And he's had a chance to win uh, both of the last two tournaments. And I just think he's he's due for a win with how he's been playing. And, and I feel pretty good about his chances at finishing near the top. But moving on from the PGA Tour, who has, like I said, they've put on an absolute show for the last couple weeks to Major League Baseball, who has put on a show of its own here lately, and that show has been a clown show. I mean, what in the actual hell is going on there? Let me get this straight. They had an agreement in place from the March 26th collective bargaining agreement. The pandemic hits and the season's delayed. So now you have the billionaire owners and the millionaire players who have each spent the better part of the last two months arguing about money and who gets more of it. There's been eight rejected proposals and they haven't reached an agreement. So Commissioner Rob Manfred and the owners step in and they implement a season. The season's going to start on July 24th. Players report to camp in a week and a half or so on July 1st. And the season length of the implemented season is 60 games, which is the exact same number of games that was found in the latest proposal that the players had just rejected a few days prior. So the players then, quote, approve this implemented season, and now we're supposed to move forward as as if nothing's happened? Like, I'm calling the MLB out on this. Like, that's insane. And... Truthfully, I hope they lose as much money as they were worried they were going to lose. Just for the nonsense that they've been through. And to make matters worse than this, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, they're both expected to file grievances against each other for not negotiating in good faith. That's a joke. I mean, what are we doing? I I get the players want to get paid, And you can't play a season without players. But my God, the season could have started by now. And if the rich weren't trying to get richer, they'd already be playing some baseball. Summer is baseball's time to shine. It's America's national pastime. But all everybody's done for the last month plus is talk more about the National Hockey League and the National Basketball Association and both of their plans to return to play, and also how the National Football League has just moved on with their offseason without hesitation. So now we know there's going to be a baseball season, and when that finally does start back up here in a week or so, it'll be competing with the NHL and NBA playoffs for their attention. And I don't know about you, but 
I'm not going to be watching regular season MLB games over the NHL and NBA playoffs. Especially not after this puppet show they've been putting on for the last couple months. I mean, the National Hockey League playoffs is... That might be the very best playoff in any of the major pro sports. I'm not watching a regular season baseball game over that. Now, I do miss baseball, especially now that we are in the middle of summer. But the sport definitely hurt itself by playing around as long as it did. I mean, they, like I said, they, they could have been playing baseball in stadiums by now, but they messed around just long enough to have their season run during the same time as the NHL and the NBA playoffs. I mean, I'd, I'd say baseball takes a big L on that. And I'll, I'll talk about Major League Baseball's implemented season a little more on next week's podcast once the MLB releases more and more of the details surrounding the implemented season. But we'll uh, move on now to a segment we'll call Around the Island, and that's just uh, some quick hit topics from various sports. Uh, We'll start in the NFL. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott has officially signed his franchise tender with a value of $31.4 million. So that means that he's locked up for this year. That would also mean that that's the highest single salary cap hit of any player in the NFL this season. Now, the two sides have until July 15th to work out a long-term contract. And don't hate me for this, but I am a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, so I follow everything Cowboys. And truthfully, I can't believe that the sides haven't worked out a deal yet. I mean, Dak Prescott is on record saying that he wants to be a Dallas Cowboy. And Stephen Jones is on record saying that Dak Prescott is their franchise quarterback and that he's part of their long-term plan. So what the hell's the issue? Well, the hang-up is on the length of the contract. Dak Prescott wants a four-year deal so he can get another extension in a few years. And the Cowboys want a five-year deal to give them more flexibility with the yearly salary cap adjustments that they make, move money around. But in reality, the parameters for Dak Prescott's contract, are, are they're already laid out. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz have already signed extensions. Now, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz were the first two picks in the 2016 NFL Draft in which Dak Prescott was taken in the fourth round at 135th overall. Now, if you look at their numbers for all three quarterbacks, they're relatively comparable. You know, Jared Goff's taken the Rams to the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz had an MVP caliber season a couple years ago when Philly won the Super Bowl, but he got hurt and wasn't able to finish the season. And Dak Prescott has just simply gotten better each of the four years he's been in the league, and he was second in the league in passing yards last year. So if you look at the contracts for Goff and Wentz, they both signed four-year contracts. Goff's was worth $134 million with $110 guaranteed, and Wentz's was worth $128 million with $107 guaranteed, which makes sense. Uh, Wentz was taken after Goff, and he's been available in fewer games due to injuries, so that makes sense. But those numbers are relatively close to each other. 
I would fully suspect that Dak Prescott's contract is going to be in the vicinity of the Goff and Wentz contracts. If I had to guess, I'd say four years at $140 million with 120 of that guaranteed. And, you know, Jerry Jones is doing the same thing that he did with Ezekiel Elliott at the beginning of this past season. He's dragging it out until the very latest he could before he finally caves and, and gives him what he wants. And I think that's what's going to happen with Prescott. I think Prescott's going to get his four years. He's going to average around $35 million a year. And I, I would assume that the contract number is going to be in the vicinity of the, the Goff and Wentz contracts. Uh, I don't think you can argue that Dak's played that much better than either one of those two to warrant some completely unprecedented Patrick Mahomes-type money that Mahomes is going to get either this season or next. But we'll have to stay tuned for that. That'll be interesting to see in the next couple weeks if they end up getting that deal done and when they get it done. Now, in the NBA, uh, the last couple days, three players have formally announced that they're going to be skipping the NBA's restart in Orlando and staying home. Avery Bradley of the Los Angeles Lakers... Trevor Arisa of the Portland Trailblazers and Davis Bertans of the Washington Wizards are all opting to stay at home for either personal or family reasons, and they will not be partaking in the NBA's restart. And after all the talk the last couple weeks about the NBA players not being happy about this extreme bubble scenario they're going to be moving into, I would fully expect more players to follow suit. Uh, Commissioner Adam Silver has already announced that the players who choose to skip the restart will not be penalized. They just will not get paid. And I can certainly see more players choosing to skip the restart, especially the players on the teams not named the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, or Raptors. Uh, And I say that because the NBA is the most top-heavy of the major pro sports leagues. So if you're not one of the top few teams you really do not have a legitimate chance to win the title. Which, you know, Avery Bradley just opted out of the restart, and he's on the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm sure he's he's bummed about having a a good chance to win a title, but his reason for skipping is that his six-year-old son has a respiratory condition that would obviously uh, be extremely compromised if he or his, his family were to contract the virus. And so I completely understand Avery Bradley's um, reasoning for, for skipping out. And, and really, any other of the players that aren't on any of those top four teams, I understand if, if they don't want to be locked up in a bubble for two or three months and they'd rather just sit at home and watch. Because really, it's going to be those four teams that are, that are playing for something. And this past week, the NBA released the details on their bubble format. And it almost... To me, it seems like a summer camp daycare for adults. They're not really allowed to go anywhere. They can only do video games, card games, attend other NBA games, you know, and they're locked up. They have a specific place they got to eat. Nobody's allowed to get near them. And that's not really appealing for multi millionaire athletes who are used to being able to go anywhere, anywhere they want, and do anything that they want. So I, I'm, I'm totally on board with, with guys that 
are choosing to skip, and frankly, I don't really blame them. Now, the National Hockey League, they're not doing the extreme bubble approach that the NBA is, but I think the dueling hub cities that they have planned are going to work out just as well. A couple weeks ago, the NHL released a list of 10 cities between the U.S. and Canada that were vying to become um, host cities or hub cities for their playoff restart. And just yesterday, they cut the list from 10 to 6. And the four teams that were cut were Columbus, Ohio, Dallas, Texas, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the six remaining teams, or cities rather, uh, you have Las Vegas, Chicago, Los Angeles, Toronto, Edmonton, and Vancouver. So there's three in the United States and three in Canada that are the final six. And according to TSN's Pierre Lebrun, he reports that there is, quote, hope and expectation that the NHL and the NHL Players Association will agree on the two hub cities by the end of this upcoming week. Now, it's it's entirely possible and looking even more likely that Canada is going to be the host to both hub cities. Um, for a while, Canada really wasn't a top contender because they had such strict quarantine restrictions upon entering the country. Uh, but they were able to get those loosened up a bit, at least for NHL purposes. So because of that, I think that Canada's got a real good shot to land both hub cities. Now, when the fir- when the list first came out from the NHL with the 10 cities, I circled Las Vegas, and I said, man, that's that's got to be a shoe-in, right? They got a brand-new facility, T-Mobile Arena, and they got ton- tons of lodging, all the lodging you could imagine with all those casinos and hotels and everything right there on the strip. But then the other night, I was watching UFC on ESPN, and they had an aerial view of the strip at nighttime. And the strip looked like it always does. Cars bumper to bumper, foot traffic everywhere. And I I was thinking, I'm like, well, if the NHL goes there, the players are going to probably be at an increased risk for a coronavirus exposure just due to the number of people that are back in Vegas. And so I don't know that that's necessarily the best idea. Canada doesn't have anywhere near the number of coronavirus cases that the United States does. So, and, and given this recent spike that the United States has had in coronavirus cases countrywide... I would not be shocked, and truthfully, I almost expect Canada to get both both hub cities uh, awarded to them, whether it's you know Toronto, Edmonton, or Vancouver. Any one of those are, are, are great cities to, to host hockey. Now, the NHL's been in phase two of their plan to return to play, which is limited on-ice workouts at their facilities. I think it's a maximum of like six people can work out on the ice at the same time and they've been in that for a couple of weeks a lot of guys have got back on the ice uh, probably their first time skating in a while well phase three of the nhl's plan to return to play begins on july 10th 
about a week and a half, two weeks. This will be the official start for teams to begin their training camps at their facilities. Uh, Larry Brooks of the New York Post reported that Phase 3, the training camp phase, is going to last approximately two weeks with teams traveling to their respective hub cities around July 23rd or 24th. And Larry Brooks also reported that Phase 4, which is the official start of the actual playoffs, is going to start around July 30th. Now, I'll be discussing the NHL playoffs in great depth in the upcoming podcasts, including a breakdown of all playoff series and a prediction of who I think is going to win the Stanley Cup. So definitely stay tuned to that. But that's going to wrap up the first and inaugural episode of Sports Island. I hope you all enjoyed the podcast, and if you did, please tell your friends about it. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to it from anywhere you get your podcasts. And I hope everyone has a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.